Welcome to the Light Shine Church Sermon Podcast. I'm organizing pastor Rob Douglas, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our weekly message. Let's pray. Oh God, we do lift our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, toward you. We come together to worship, to sing, to pray, to listen to the scripture, to listen for your spirit speaking into our lives, guiding our way, giving us encouragement, direction, redirection. Lord, as we open the scripture now, give us the grace to hear whatever it is that you long to say to us today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, my friends, near and far. Good to see your names and your faces. <clears throat> so I want to begin by telling you a story about something happened a number of years ago. Jeff and I, some of you heard the story before. Jeff and I were on a hike in Yosemite. Um, hiking Half Dome. This is a very long 17 mile all day long hike, which requires that you come prepared, right? You need to have shoes that are well broken in, hat, sunscreen, food, and most important is water. You need a lot of water. There are a couple of water stations along the way, but uh, not many. And as it happened, Jeff and I were sharing our water and a little over halfway through the hike, I accidentally finished all of our water. We had no water, we had hours left to go before we were back to the car. It was completely my fault. I did not regulate how much water I was drinking. I was a little worried about getting dehydrated and yeah, not, not good. So we hiked for a few miserable hours, or it felt like that at least, but we came upon this good Samaritan. I mean, it was like that scene out of the three amigos. This guy had tons of water belt with two big jugs of water on him. And he, um, took pity upon us. So we got in a conversation and anyways, we disclosed that we were out of water and he had mercy on us and shared his water supply with us. It was a very memorable, humbling experience. And of course, since that time, every time we go on a hike, Jeff insists that we are not sharing water. We each bring our own water bottles. Well, I share this story with you because the story we're going to hear from the scripture this morning invites us to think about God's mercy, how God gives to us what we often do not deserve. Well, the background to the story this morning is that the people of Israel, they wanted a king. It goes like this. God basically said, you don't need a king. I, I am your king. And the people of Israel said, well, we still want a king. All the other nations around us, they have a king. We want to be like them. We want a king. And God said, it's a bad idea. You're going to regret it. And when you do, don't come running back to me for help. I'm not going to help you. Well, that's sort of what happened, except 
that God changed God's mind. God did intercede to help the people of Israel. There is this Hebrew word that speaks of God's character, and it's called hesed. And it's kind of a difficult word to completely translate into English, but it speaks to God's steadfast faithfulness, devotion, fierce loyalty, mercy that God has in God's character. God stayed with the people of Israel because of God's has said, God's mercy. Well, the first king of Israel was named Saul. And while Saul wasn't all bad, he was mostly bad. And in the story we're about to read, Saul is still the king of Israel, but king number two is about to be chosen. God in this story tells the prophet Samuel, because remember the prophets, they speak the words of the Lord. Uh, he tells the prophet Samuel to go to Bethlehem where the new king will be chosen. So Samuel's led to this farmer whose name is Jesse, and Jesse has a lot of sons. And one of his sons will be the new king. So let's listen to part of the story as it comes from 1 Samuel chapter 16. This is verses 6 through 13. When all of Jesse's sons came before Samuel, Samuel looked on Eliab, the oldest son, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. In other words, surely this must be the new king. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. I've rejected him. The Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outer appearance, but the Lord, the Lord looks on the heart. Jesse called Abinadab, made him pass before Samuel, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. And then Samuel said to Jesse, are all of your sons here? And he said, there remains yet one, the youngest, but he is out keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, go get him. We're not going to sit down until he comes. So he sent, brought him in. He had ruddy and beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the new king of Israel, the second king of Israel, was not Jesse's oldest son, wasn't his tallest son, and he wasn't even his best looking son. God chose the smallest, the youngest on this day, probably the smelliest, the dirtiest son, who wasn't even there, right? It makes me think of Cinderella. Remember that story? 
The prince comes looking for the woman he'd been dancing with the night before, the one whose foot fit perfectly into that glass slipper. He comes to Cinderella's home, but she's not there. The stepmother parades the daughters beforehand. They're trying to squeeze their foot into that slipper. But like David, Cinderella's not around. She's upstairs cleaning the floor and singing with the mice or something. But unlike Cinderella's cruel stepmother, uh, Jesse here seems to very quickly comply with Samuel when Samuel asks to see the youngest son. And of course, the young David is declared the second king of Israel, King David. So there are a lot of stories about David in the Bible. I know you know some of them. And so I'd love to know what you think. I want to take a poll. We're going to do a little survey. Off the top of your head, would you say that David was a mostly good king? Mostly bad king? Or good and bad? Don't overthink it. Just go with the first thing that comes to your mind. This isn't a test. This is just for fun. What do you think of David? I love it. You can like see it as it's happening. All right. Looks like we have 10 people who said good and bad. Yeah, all right, good and bad. Anybody else? 100%, 100% of us. Okay, can you see that? Maybe you can't. You can, okay. Yeah, 100% of us said good and bad. Yeah, right, because there's some good stories, some stories that speak of David's goodness, right? Uh, David and Goliath, right? That's maybe one of the most popular stories about David, where he uh, courageously goes to battle for Israel with those five smooth stones. Uh, David is known as a man after God's own heart. Beautiful, powerful words. Clearly a man who loved God. He was really good to King Saul, uh, Remember, King Saul was still king when David became king. King Saul wanted to kill him, tried to several times. David saved his life. Uh, he was clearly good to King Saul. But there's also some not so good things about David, right? He has that very famous affair with Bathsheba. Yeah, not only that, but then he kills her husband, one of his best top generals, Uriah. And then there's the story of David's daughter, Tamar. This is a lesser known story, but David's daughter, Tamar, is raped by one of David's sons, uh, by her brother. She's raped by Amnon, but David does nothing about it because he loved Amnon. And uh, so it's one of David's other sons, Absalom, who's outraged by what's happened to his sister and takes Tamar in to live with him. And then he goes after his brother and kills him. David uh, wasn't a very good parent. 
not such a good husband. And it's pretty clear that his family was quite dysfunctional. He really messed some things up. One of the most beautiful prayers in the Bible is attributed to David, Psalm 51. You might know it. Have mercy on me, O God, he prayed. Have mercy on me according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. And as we know, God does forgive David. God extends mercy to him because this is who God is. Hesed, gracious, merciful, abounding, instead fast love, fiercely loyal. And it's a good thing too, because that relationship between God and David, it probably would have ended if God had not been merciful toward him. You might remember uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission led by Archbishop Desmond Tutu a number of years back. He wrote a book about this work that he did in South Africa. And the book was titled, No Future Without Forgiveness. It's a powerful, memorable book title. Um, and he writes about his work with the people of South Africa, saying that this work of confession and forgiveness, it was essential if the country of South Africa was to have a future, because there's no future without forgiveness. And this is true for all relationships, isn't it? Those words, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And also the words, I forgive you. They are essential words. These are essential practices if the relationship is to have a future, if it's gonna last. Forgiveness, grace, mercy, giving others what they do not deserve. This is how God was with the people of Israel how God was with King David, and how God is with us, right? Jesus is the mercy of God extended to all of us, no exceptions. God has a different way of seeing than we do. We read in verse 7, if you caught that powerful verse, the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God's eyes are obviously different than our eyes. God sees with a different lens, a different perspective. I remember when our oldest son was born and I had this awareness that I suddenly was seeing everything in a different way. Every person that I read about in the news who died tragically, that was their, that was someone's child. And in the same way, every time I would hear about somebody who did something horrible, you know, killing other people or whatever, that too, that was someone's beloved child. It was like I suddenly was seeing the world in color and before it had been in black and white. <clears throat> in the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul writes about how God sees all of us like this. 
He writes, God is rich in mercy towards us because of the great love that God has for us, like parents with their children. As we seek to love one another as God loves us, we need God's help. I need God's help. Maybe you don't, but I think many of us, we need God's help to see each other with those eyes that God has so that we're not looking at the outer appearances, right? Like clothing, wealth, poverty, physical fitness, social media images. And we need God's help to see beyond our differences as well, to see what we have in common. To, you know, we might have different politics, skin color, we might speak different languages of different cultures, traditions, but we are one human family. We are all God's beloved children and we all are in need of God's mercy. One of Jesus's more challenging teachings, I think, is the call for us to pray for our enemies, to pray for people that we struggle with, to wish them well, and to remember they are someone's beloved child. And I, I wonder if one of the reasons that he calls us to do so is because our prayers always change us. And when we pray for our enemies, it, it changes how we think about them. And we might not really think about people as our enemies. Maybe we do. Um, but to, to think about people that we really struggle to appreciate, <laughs> praying for them can, it can change how we think about them. But maybe even harder, probably hardest of all, is extending God's mercy and grace to ourselves, right? Forgiving ourselves as God forgives us. This work of forgiveness, and I think the right word is work, it may be the hardest work that we do in our whole lives. The promise is that just as God was faithfully with the people of Israel, with David, so God is also with us. Jesus is with us. The spirit is forever with us, which means that whatever it is that we're working through, whatever it is, we aren't doing it alone. We're doing it with God's power to help us, to help us through. So I want to end by listening to a familiar hymn, it's Amazing Grace, a variation of um, this familiar hymn. And the refrain is, I can see, I can see so clearly now. Let's pray that we can see, <laughs> that God will give us eyes to see God's presence right here in our midst with us. God's presence giving us hope and encouragement and direction and redirection, giving us all the blessings of heaven that God knows we need to get through. Let's listen to this. <laughs>